Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. History of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Groundbreakers, history makers. Hello and welcome to the Outer Sanctum for AFLW Grand Final Week. I'm more dusty than Martin this morning, <laughs> host AFLW Awards, where Emily Bates was crowned the best and the fairest. My name is Emma Race. There's a lot of fun and chat to be had and I quite literally could not do today without three shoeys of coffee and my Sanctum <laughs> sisters, and that is my sister's. Not my wives. Hashtag baby Antonio's. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm the only sober one here, Nicole Hayes. Hi, I'm Julia Kiera. I think. And hello. <laughs> I am Lucy Race. You know what? It's the lack of sleep that gets you when you're mm. our age. And I think that's what um, we're actually facing today because Lucy and I were in the wilderness at the AFLW Awards last night where we couldn't get a drink to save ourselves. But, but Julia, you were on a table where you were very well looked after. And Nicole, you were watching from home. So I really hope that you don't have sore feet this morning like I did. <laughs> <laughs> I kept my shoes on. Was it a great telecast to watch? Was it fun because it was pretty fun in the room. Mm. Yeah, it had a great vibe. Bryony did an amazing job. I loved how they just owned the space, but also their work is just so natural and you can see the players respond to the questions and, and it's there's such a great rapport going on there. Obviously, Bryony came through the Making the Call program, which Lucy and I are incredibly proud of, but they just started a conversation in that room. I felt last night when there was an acknowledgement of what Tori and Darcy have done for players for the community this year, to have Bryony up on stage means that we're actually really making progress and we're cutting through because we're not getting dished up what the men have. We're actually getting something that's bespoke and something that is really AFLW. And I've got to admit, like, I really felt like that vibe was pretty on on the money last night in the room. Julia, you've been in women's footy a lot longer than we have. Did you feel that that was represented? You were there as Darcy's date. Did you have a good time? (laughs) I did have a great time. I got cropped out of the Herald Sun. I'm devastated by it. Um, (laughs) But they did come and check my name. I tried to say that I was Audrey Hepburn, but that didn't fly. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Do you play football too? Yes, I'm Audrey Hepburn. Could have gone with Grace Kelly and got away with it. There's a Grace Kelly, there's an Adelaide Wood, there's an Audrey Hepburn. What was the question? <laughs> the question was, 
you know, at those kinds of events, it doesn't always feel like it reflects the community. But did you feel like there was a real, that last night really did feel very AFLW? It really felt a little bit like the outer at the Witten, but all dressed up and with some spray tan. Yeah, it did. And it felt like people felt they were having fun. I love that so many, on so many tables, players, they're plus one. They just take another player from the team, even if they might have a plus plus one at home because it's still such a thrill I think for players or people involved in W to you know be able to dine out on the AFL's time and be in the same room together you know that's that was really special just you know 12 of the clubs got to be there obviously Adelaide and Melbourne were separate with their masks on you know doing doing their due diligence diligence around that but it did feel really fun and I have to say that we'll probably get to this but the moment where Craig Starsevich started to undo his shoes and I could hear the thrum across the tables of all the W players like just starting to whoop and clap and get going and I and I had that moment of I miss being in a footy team like that's what it is it's just that something fun's about to happen and we're going to egg it on. And I loved it. I loved it. And I loved that he did it. Oh, Drink no responsibly via shoe. It was unbelievable from Craig, friend of the pod. Lucy Rays, when burying the lead, your team is through to a grand final, but you might have something you want to say before we get into talking about the actual prelims. Last night, you didn't drink out any shoes, did you? Oh, gosh, no. No, but... For a moment there, because I could kind of spy the um, lion's table through the crowd, I thought that he'd reach for a glass of red wine. I was like, no, don't do that. (laughs) It wasn't. It never occurred to me that there's a right kind of drink to do in a shoe. (laughs) Well, not a red wine. You've got to wear that shoe for the rest of the night. I know, it's so true. So we are bearing the lead because we know who's going to be in the grand final. There's two cracking prelims on the weekend. The D's managed to get over the line against the Lions. Heartbreak for Nicole Hayes. We're going to do the winners first, though. Lucy, how did it feel to see your D's get up? Well, it was pretty exciting. I was very disappointed not to be able to be there, but unfortunately I was playing my role in isolation and I feel like you guys were all there so you probably saw it, saw the game a little bit differently to me, but there were I had a lot of highlights. The first one was named Alyssa Bannon. I thought she was just wonderful. I loved the way the demons basically used the space and were able to kick into space and let her use her speed and run on and kick those three goals. And she's in great form because her last game, which was 21 days ago, something like that, she also kicked three goals against Carlton in in kind of similar circumstances. And I think that bodes really well for Melbourne going into the grand final that Alyssa is playing so well. But I couldn't go past Karen Paxman in her 50th game. She had an absolute cracker. I credit her with Alyssa Bannon's first goal in that second quarter where Paxi just worked so hard off half back and she ran, she got to like two or three contests and was the one that delivered that ball into Alyssa. And I felt like she just willed that goal at a time when Melbourne was, you know, it was really hard to score and it was when it was kind of wet 
I just salute. I salute you, Paxi. I think you're an absolute legend and I cannot wait to see what happens next weekend. A big game player on a big stage like that, I thought that was Paxi's moment and that, you know, goodness me, there were second and third efforts of Paxi, unbelievable. But seeing Alyssa Bannon running down the wing of the MCG, that is a moment. That is an absolute moment for this competition. Nicole, we can't go past the Lions have had an absolute cracker of a season. I think they went into that game favourite. I don't think that they have anything to be ashamed about. They have had such a hard season. There's been so much that they've had to um, contend with and they've managed to keep a really cohesive group together. What were your highlights from the Lions? My first highlight was just being at the MCG again <laughs> and, like, well, one, to watch a historical match um, where the AFLW players are playing a preliminary final, but just to be back in a crowd it's been more than a year for me so feeling the mcg crowd and the the buzz and the smell and being with my sisters here some of you guys and just being so close to the game again you know it's it's become a small box for me on the tv so uh that was a a a real um rush for me but Brisbane, across the board, they played really well. I mean, they were very unlucky not to win. They were, in that last quarter, they made a real effort to come back. You know, across the board, they had their pretty good, you know, contributors, as they always do. I know that they were possibly the only team that wasn't affected by COVID directly, except that their fixture was completely thrown out and they had to play back to, you know, games so close together that the fact that they made it as far as they did is a real testament to the to the depth of that team and to the broad range of players that contribute every week. I know they'll be crushed and they'll absolutely in it right up until the end so you know we'll, we'll see them back next year and and hopefully Craig will be able to drink out of a champagne <laughs> out, his champagne out of a premiership out of his other style. out of his other shoe and a premiership cup. Shoe. I thought Jesse Wardlaw was absolutely amazing on the weekend and also didn't disappoint last night at the W Awards a lot of swagger so much Best swagger on Julia is your highlight from from that prelim or is it from the other prelim my highlight I think is just the Adelaide Crows. Um, I think we kind of take for granted how good they are. It is incredible that they have made a fourth grand final when there has only been five. You know, you can talk about the fact that they're a one-team state, blah, 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 but they obviously run an enormously successful program. You would think that year after year there would be players at the edge of their list. You know, teams from out of state who need players would be going after those those players saying, you're not getting a game at Adelaide because the team's too strong. Come over, come over. And they don't. They don't leave. They stay. They stay there because they must love what they're doing. They obviously look like a really cohesive group. They've managed to regenerate year on year and add different elements to the team. And I think that they're to be congratulated for it. Whatever happens on Saturday, I think that, you know, they they have been at the front of the competition for a long time. That to me is just pretty amazing, pretty amazing in this space. So I was pleased to see them get through. Um, unlucky for Fremantle, but I think that it was Adelaide's game. Adelaide do face their first, I reckon, major hurdle with Port coming into the competition. There is a lot of rumours about Erin Phillips and whether she'll move across. But why would you leave that team? You've got Hatchard, Marinoff, Randall, Randall. Phillips. Mm. You know, when you're Alan, if you're a footballer, you want to be supported by the best in the business. And they, on every single line, they absolutely dominate, Julia. Yeah, and I think that they would look to what happened with Fremantle once West Coast came in and that Fremantle managed to hold on to the 
bulk of their team. They definitely lost players, but in terms of their core group, the players that make up the the pillars of each line, they kept them. You know, Dana Hooker left and a couple of others left, but and that's just kept Fremantle in good stead and it, sh- it gives them a model that you can hold on to these players. I'm sure Port doesn't want to hear that um, and we'll probably be looking at, again at that scenario from the other side and go, okay, well, we don't want to make West Coast's mistake. We want to make sure that these Adelaide players know that we're a destination club and they're willing to move. But, yeah, it is with all of them. I know that I'm speaking to three Hawks, but with all the expansion stuff, it is you know, the decision is there about better the devil you know, do I stay where I am or do I go into the unknown? Do you think um, Saturday's outcome will make a difference? Like if you win with your team, do you want? are you more inclined to stay or are you more prepared to take a risk and go somewhere else? How does it affect a decision like that? I think it would be a individual. I think it would be person by person. I think for some it would be you go out on a high, I won a premiership here, okay, if I don't win another premiership, that's okay, I'm going on a new adventure. Whereas if they'd lost but they feel really they were so close, it would, I don't know, I think for some people like, well, I don't want to move because we're probably going to start at the bottom of the ladder whereas next season, which is only going to be a few months away, we've got another chance to win a premiership. But then it could be the other the other way that people love the idea of going back to back and so they might stay. I think it would be person by person. I tell you what I loved about these prelims is because we don't have the conference system, we really saw the four best teams of the season going up against each other. It's like we actually got the answer to who would win a battle between Superman and Batman because I really didn't know. I was like, Frio have impressed me so much over the last couple of seasons. I know that they have had an absolute ride this season and the fact that they are still smiling. We spoke to Hayley Miller last night and Trent Cooper who I think might want to adopt us. I'm not sure. But um, (laughs) speaking to them last night, they are so galvanised as a group and I think a lot of that has come, you know, they've really been forged by the the fire of what has been placed at their feet and they've stepped up and they have been so epic for the competition. They make everything as a drama. Everything's, you know, so fun watching them play. They're just so wildly successful and then to see them go up against Adelaide, not great circumstances, really challenging on the road for them and also Adelaide you know Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval is just oh man that is so tough that is such a tough gig but the competition is so much better for having teams of this caliber Nicole what was your highlight from that game I struggle to go past Chelsea Randall and I know we say her all the time but it's been she's had a, a tough year coming back from injury and then being struck down by COVID. But she was pivotal down back when she went down back against Frio on the weekend. Nothing could get past her. She's so strong. She backs into marks, but she does it really responsibly because I have an issue with you know marking backwards like that, running into a pack. I'm always concerned about protecting each other and yourself. But she does it so carefully. She does it so well that. Nobody gets hurt and she manages to protect herself and still take down, end up with the ball. 12 intercept possessions, she 15 touches, five marks, two tackles. That is a solid, more than solid game. And when you think about just her leadership on the field as well, all that stuff that doesn't get counted, I, you know, she can be the difference. And if she's up, on, up and about on the weekend, it'll make it really tough for Melbourne, I think. Especially after she missed last year. 
Yeah. You know, she wasn't out there. It's so telling, don't you think, that Doc Clark, Mick Stanier, Craig Stasovich and Trent Cooper have been embedded in those clubs. They're playing with the lists that they've chosen and I just see so much um, strength comes from that stability that I really think going into the next season of AFLW and I think there will be a lot of movement. I don't know how an August start time, which, by the way, has still not been officially confirmed, which feels... Everyone's talking like it's, it's a done deal, but it's, there's it's been, been no confirmation. I know, it's so weird, right? Like even last night, it feels like it's set. I don't know what we're waiting for, like for the Queen to write a scroll. and Maybe we're to- waiting for how, for um, the election to be called. <laughs> it's, it's, no. it's the same thing. It's, it's like standoff. Everybody's leave it to the last minute. You know what the, the what the test is? I mean, Karen Harrington's had to move her wedding for like the third time because of the <laughs> dates moving of the AFLW. So that's how I base my my intel is on when Karen Harrington's actually going to get married to Joel Peterson is basically when we know the season isn't happening. But to think about things that you want to go go forward with when all these new teams come into the competition, I think that stability is it's written itself now as as a, one of the surefire ways for success, Lucy. Well, it's exciting that Mick Stenier will be coaching his 50th game on the actual grand final. So you talk about someone who's been on the journey for a very long time with this team and Gemma Bastiani wrote a great piece just about Mick and interviewed some of the players and how they feel the the culture that he's created at Melbourne and um, I'll put that in the show notes. Can we just talk about, I mean, first I think Aaron Phillips not to be in the All-Australian last night is a big question mark, but we can probably move on from that. I don't think she's going to lose any sleep about it in the week of a grand final. What does it mean to Daisy Pierce? Uh, this is a storyline that's going to be talked about, I would imagine, a lot this week. Daisy Pierce has achieved so much in women's footy, but she doesn't have a premiership medal. She hasn't won the W. Julia, you know probably best better than any of us how much, I mean, she's a competitive beast, right? How much would this be? An absolute, this is her moment. Yes. <laughs> I almost don't want to talk about it too much because it feels like it's the reverse of the secret. You know, I'm going to put out this juju into the atmosphere that's going to be bad karma. Daisy is a competitive beast and she's talked about it before that even, you know, a weird little drill at training where there might be a winner, she's in it to win that. You know, even though she's been playing football for, I don't know, 15 years, she is a big game player. She's a champion player. She's played in a lot of big games, even though the scale of them over the years has become obviously much more dramatic as, as AFLW has taken on. So taken off. So obviously I'd love to see her with a premiership medal. I think that she deserves it. I think that, you know, for, for people who followed the, the VWFL, they watched Daisy for a decade just romping that competition, just was the absolute best player for many, many years. You know, I think AFLW audience would have loved to have seen a 20-year-old Daisy and what they could have done and that they were coming in as, you know, I think there's even games where she was 17 or 18 and was the best on the park playing against still 40-year-old women. So she's been in it a long time, been at the top for a long time. She started as a midfielder in AFLW and had come off half back and now is in the forward line. Like it shows how smart she is and how adaptable and how well she knows the game. Last night I was speaking to Mua Lalawifi who has had an exceptional stint the last couple of seasons as a defender for Carlton and she said Daisy is impossible to play on. <laughs> like it's that Daisy's skills set and her ability to get her hands on the ball regardless of how it's delivered 
delivered, um, if it's delivered perfectly, you've got no chance against her. Mm. And I loved hearing that. It felt so inner. And I really hope that Moa doesn't listen to this and that I've given something <laughs> away. But I think that it is, you know, I universally acknowledge that Daisy is extraordinary. But I loved hearing that. I was like, you know, that she's so wily out there and she's just, she's had those 10,000 touches and then some. So she knows what the ball's going to do every mm. time it's coming in. You know, Nick, you mentioned Chelsea Randall affecting the game and and leading even when she doesn't have the ball in her hand. Daisy's similar and in the dying moments of that game, that prelim, Daisy was there just yelling so loud and knew exactly what was going on and was marshalling everybody and I had the sense that nothing was going to get past Daisy, that Mm. she would just make sure that this game was iced and I think that quality of leadership on the field is it's so valuable. I actually, I was wondering last night because Adelaide and Melbourne were in their own little spaces for the W Awards. Did they let them just have the night off or in between entree and main course, were they doing some oppo analysis or (laughs) were they having to between main and dessert, were they doing a Pilates session or I don't know, what do you think? Well, that's an interesting question because that hour where AFL 360 is on the broadcast. Is that really what happened? They go from the W Awards to AFL 360. And then they come back to it? And then they come back. Yeah, but being in the room, this is so like, we're not the outer sanctum anymore. We're the inner sanctum. I actually loved that hour because we were in the room. So mm. we got to like eat our steaks and um, chitty chat to people for an hour. And then I saw on the Twitter people outraged, like, oh, is it going to have a 360? I was like, no, this is awesome. But yeah, I reckon <laughs> that um, maybe they were doing some Pilates in that hour. Yeah, I reckon they were all wearing flat Sounds shoes. Sounds painful. On the uh, on the Facebook stream or the, the I was on the app, I didn't have the TV, so they did the W show and a whole lot of sizzle the the blank screen with, but I could hear oh. the, the the audience. I mean, you couldn't oh, hear really? any specifics, but I was for a little while sitting there going, oh, somebody's near the microphone, and it just delayed like for several oh, minutes great. afterwards. Very interesting. <laughs> okay, so if we're going to be a bit inside baseball on this because we're so rarely on the inner, but I think that this is super fun. That One thing I didn't realise, and it's probably because we've been in lockdown for so long, we don't even see each other anymore. Mm. We just record over Zoom. Um, sorry to break the magic of the studio that doesn't exist anymore for us, but that last night, Nicole, players listened to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I literally, I was like, I couldn't believe, I, firstly, I never believe anyone listens to this podcast, but then like Izzy Huntington and Nina Morrison and, and people shouting out, Rosie Dillon, it's insane to me that they would listen to us. We're such like, just when you guys were just doing, when we were all doing about Daisy, then I was like, we are such football nerds. We probably <laughs> don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> just fans, just hardcore fans. And that the players actually listen and enjoy all of the ebbs and flows of our conversation was absolutely astounding to me last night. Mm. What was your favourite inner sanctum moment from last night, Julia. I did love Nina Morrison saying that we're her favourite podcast. I just thought that was amazing. I'm like, aren't we one million years older than you? So that was amazing. I liked seeing how the sausage gets made at the actual broadcast. So with, because obviously there's cameras, but you're still just there like eating and 
obviously my drink was getting filled up quite regularly. Um, so it feels like you're just kind of at a fancy wedding, but that there's cameras everywhere. But I was on a table with Karen Harrington and with Mimi Hill. And the way that they did the All-Australians was the, the first All-Australians were announced, the Defenders, and they just kind of came out of the back of the screen. And so in that moment, I thought, oh, have all the All-Australians been told like earlier this evening and they're all at the back there. And then a few minutes later, a quiet little person in, in black came up and tapped <laughs> Karen Harrington on the shoulder and said, come with me. And so everyone on the table was like, hang on a minute. So if you're on an immediate table with an award winner, you get the second before you know what's about to happen. Wow. And it was the same. Do they with- know though? Do the players know before that they're well, already they knew on it? they were in the squad and everyone in the squad is um, invited. So there was this like fantastic moment of like the other Carlton players noticing that Karen got pulled away and kind of being like, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, excited. Um, and then that she was finally announced and came, came through the stage. And then it was a similar thing with Mimi Hill where Mimi was not at her seat I think she'd gone to the bathroom or something and there were people scurrying around trying to find where she was <laughs> before that was announced. And so there was a little bit of buzz around the table. It was like, are they coming for Mimi? Are they coming for Mimi? Are they coming for Mimi? And then she was announced. It was awesome. Oh, that's very cool. I love cool. that. So it's like the Academy Awards where they actually don't know, unlike like a lot of the literary awards that I go to, you find out if you ever win that you actually get notified beforehand and so you have to pretend to be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> so it is that but it's only within a 60-second block. Right. <laughs> yeah, oh, you have 60 I seconds. Yeah. I love it. Lucy, what was your inside, inside inner sanctum moment? I think it was being able to congratulate Emily Bates in person and see the little W medal and also to congratulate her mum. It mm. was it was really lovely to be able to do that because how beautiful was Emily's speech? I thought Nailed she it. spoke so well and to talk about the fact that she wished her dad was there to see her, um, there was a lot of emotion in the room. I think we, it was quite palpable. And to be able to go and say congratulations to her in person and to her mum was such a I, fangirl moment. My absolute highlight moment is this a weird one. It was when we were in the bathroom and then all of a sudden Darcy Vesio. I wasn't going to go with that one. I'm totally going with it. Darcy Vesio's zipper broke on their pants and there was this like pit crew moment that was Meg McDonald, Nina Morrison. Who else was there? I can't remember. Maddie McMahon, Brie Harvey from um, GWS and Chloe Dalton and the three of us. And there was just this moment where everyone was trying to find something to do up their pants. I don't know. It was just this weird. I was like, if I just got locked in here and spent the rest of the night in the bathroom with these people, I would have the greatest time. I don't actually need to leave this area at any, this is, it doesn't get better than this. I felt like I was on the plane in Almost Famous without the plane going down. It was just the pants. I think Darcy was just after a bit of attention because their pants actually broke at the beginning of the night. That is a scoop, Julia. That is a scoop. I did notice them walking around the bar though, holding Onto their pants yeah. at like two o'clock this morning. It was really making me laugh. I was like, "That's just that's just not fair." That should not I'm glad happen. they stuck around though. Despite that, that's pretty impressive oh, with totally. your uh, your clothing. All right, well that's enough. enough in a sanctum for a year, right? Can I just ask one W oh, award question? Because you guys are there. Were we there? 
Karen Paxman, like the player with the most votes not to have won, like the Lee Matthews of the W Award, or is it Anne Hatchard? I'm still trying to work it out. Why would you ask mm. us a stack question? Mm. I think we need to go to Gemma for that. I actually don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, yeah, Paxi has polled really well over mm. the journey. Over G- the journey. It'd be one of those two. Over the journey. <laughs> <laughs> but also it's kind of hard because there are – different numbers of home and away games Mm. every season. So, you know, when you say that last night we saw the highest number of votes, you know, there were some seasons where we didn't have 10 home and away games. So, But, I mean, in terms of getting close every time and just being pipped or fairly close anyway, getting a good number of votes over and over again. And- I will ask Gemma who the most pollingest player is without winning. <laughs> I do want to shout out though to Anne Hatchard who did poll, you know, only got pipped at the post by one vote. It came down to the last round, gilded his best dra- <laughs> dramatic read of it. <laughs> dramatic read. <laughs> um, but Hatchard got 20 votes and Ed Marinoff was only a couple of behind as well. So I think that's pretty amazing. Mm. They've both polled so well and, again, just speaks to what a champion team they are. And maybe Hatchard will turn around this week and be like, Eb, like you could have given me one vote, mate. Like just back off. <laughs> just back off. It must be so hard, both so competitive. <laughs> wonder who will win best on ground. Could be a Melbourne player too, Emma, let's be honest. Could be Daisy. The Daisy versus Chelsea Cup, that's really what it, I think they're the big two big stories, Daisy, aren't Aaron they? Or Daisy big Chelsea? Emotional. Well, actually, you could make an argument for Aaron as well but because Chelsea missed out completely last year and then, you know, has had a tough time. You know, it could be either. That's true. Daisy Kate, oh, they've all done these. They're all extraordinary. They've all done these. I can't believe we're living at this time. We're living through this time. We're seeing the history. This should all be in sepia. And Mimi Hill. Mimi Hill winning Rising Star, coming back from her ACL injury. Mm. Extraordinary. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just amazing. I love Mimi Hill so much. Are we ready to roll up our sleeves in melee? Sure. Hang on. (laughs) All those in in favour of rolling up our sleeves and melleeing say aye. 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 Julia's asleep. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Chelsea Randall, and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. All right, let's do it. There was an article from Caroline Wilson released over the weekend where Cyril and Shannon Rioli spoke about their experience at the Hawthorne Football Club. I felt that it was incredibly generous of both Cyril and Shannon to share their story. There had been much talk about this story for a long time and I think shining a light on it, letting the air in and actually what I imagine would have been incredibly painfully releasing the details of what led to Cyril leaving Hawthorne was such a generous thing for them to do. And for mine, it means that the intentional and formal conversation can start about the cultural changes that need to be made uh, to ensure that players and their families are looked after by in football and that there's cultural safety for everyone involved in the game. It was heartbreaking to read. But as I said, I think it was incredibly generous. 
Julia, do you think this should be playing out the way it is, like in the in the public? Do you think that this is the right way for us to to move forward with these stories? It's hard to know. I I, I do find it uncomfortable that these things are played out in the court of public opinion and they are played out publicly because I think that there is a lot of nuance and grey and hurt and pain and suffering and all that stuff that I think that is really hard to talk about in a, in a public way. And I think that being in the limelight when dealing with those things makes them worse. However, I do understand though that sometimes things do need to be put to the public for movement to actually happen. And we've seen that before, especially in footy clubs, that it's almost like they they need to be embarrassed you know, publicly to, to, to then be shocked into action, that it's not enough to make the complaints behind closed doors because those complaints can just stay in, in the room or they can be, you know, with these kind of myopic <laughs> views that happen within football clubs, no change actually happens and, um, you know, the, the, the key players stay in their roles and, you know, everything can be downplayed. So once the light, you know, is let in from the outside, Things are actually, you know, clubs are, are, are spurred into action to actually, to actually do something about it. So I can see both sides of it. I do worry about how it is played out in public because we know that the footy public can be very unforgiving and unsophisticated <laughs> in their takes on this stuff. And I don't think that that's helpful. We'll see how it plays out at Hawthorne. I hope real change happens, but yeah, I feel a discomfort about it. Nicole, I must have been, you probably had similar reactions to, well, to lots of people, but to Lucy and I, definitely about how upsetting this was, thinking about how much joy Cyril had given us over the journey and to think that we had been a part of the problem was really heartbreaking. How did you, how have you kind of processed it in the wash up? I mean, I think that's probably the first initial response that I had was contrasting the joy and pleasure he brought to our lives with moments for him. And he doesn't say his whole career was like that, but that there were moments where it was the complete opposite experience for him. And that's heartbreaking. He is one, you know, I know for all of us here uh, in this group at Outer Sanctum, he's a massive favourite amongst us. And, you know, everything that he did as a player and it, to me, it felt like off the field. So all of those extra things that he did, there was still this other stuff going on. So he was doing that despite the challenges and the obstacles being put before him and the difficulties he had um, or his and he and his wife experienced um, as a result of obviously very either insensitive handling or mishandling of issues re- related to their culture and to their experience as Indigenous players and an Indigenous spouse. So that was my first reaction. It's been interesting to see it play out the way it does, but I also know that, you know, from reports there were genuine efforts by um, Cyril and Shannon to reach out to discuss this at different points when he was still playing and that they were not met with this, the the uh, gravitas that they deserved and they were not treated the way that they should have been. And so this is a build-up. This is a consequence of years of build-up of not being heard. Now, Hawthorne has come out with a statement and I think it's a good start. I think that it does acknowledge that there have been mistakes made. I, You know, there's troubling aspects of it where um, they have reached out to individual players to see how they feel at the moment. And I always find that's a little problematic because 
I'm not sure how the power structures work in that situation and how comfortable, um, for example, a First Nations player might feel expressing that to a non-Indigenous whether a teammate or somebody who um, is, you know, ahead of above them, their coach or um, you know, a CEO. Setting that aside, though, I think I think Hawthorne's resistance to a proper review, whether it's in the same form as Collingwood's Do Better report or some other form of independent review, I'm finding that disappointing because, you know, the advantage of a review is absolutely it will un- uncover uh, issues or problems that have occurred that are not going to see the light otherwise uh, for all these sorts of reasons we've discussed in the past. But they can also highlight what is working and it can give a club or an organisation the opportunity to test the integrity of policies that have been implemented, that are working or are not working, to see how whether this change or these improvements are systemic or they're just situational. And I think until that is done properly at a full independent review, I don't think Hawthorne can be comfortable that they've done everything that they should. That's speaking as a fan um, as much as anything else, but of, not just of Cyril but of also the club and, and this is why it's been such a difficult conversation to have apart from all the other really um, unfortunate aspects to this story. Um, I don't think that the end game sh- should be we need to get Cyril back to the club. That's like the mm. last thing that I think that we need to be right. concerned about, that Cyril's well-being and, and he's been very overt in saying that that's not where he wants to be. I would say let's not force that. Let's not let that be the end game. That's not the lesson here. Lucy, how are you sitting with it all? All three of you have said things that really echo some of the thoughts I've had. I, again, was devastated to hear this, was devastated when Cyril left the club and to find out now some of the the reasons behind that is just heartbreaking. And I'm heartbroken to think that the club has not been a safe place for and not only for Cyril and for Shannon but for other Indigenous players and we know that there are players that have come through the club and gone and and I hope that they're okay. Um, I hope that the club is in a position to to reach out and make sure they're okay but I think in a moment like this it's it gives us an opportunity to really listen and learn and again it's for many people, I think it's a real struggle to listen without becoming defensive. And I've seen a lot of, you know, when you talk about the lack of sophistication in football, public, Julia, I've seen that play out on social media and people can't understand the microaggressions that Indigenous people and people of colour have to endure every single day in this country because. We are a colony that, you know, basically white is is the norm and everything else is othered. And for so many people who don't have that experience, they can read that story and say, well, you know, what do you mean you left over, you know, a comment about ripped jeans? And that's not what happened. This conversation around learning and cultural safety I think is a is a place actually where the AFL and where clubs can be real leaders and that's what I would hope to happen that we can lead in terms of showing a way forward I loved what Corbin Middlemass said on Offsiders on the weekend um, when he talked about the fact that there might be cultural awareness training in clubs but there hasn't necessarily been for media and 
it made me think that unless you're employed in a place where there is some form of cultural awareness training or you're in education, for the majority of people, where does that happen? And that's a conversation that we actually need to be having as a nation and we're not having it. So we tinker around the edges and go, oh, this is really bad and this person was lost to the game. And But again, we're not thinking about the bigger picture. So what I would love to see is clubs and the AFL and this code really lead the way there. You know, I feel like there's this um, assumption or that the starting point is that, well, we're all perfect and none of us are racist. So when we, and then we hear these things and go, oh my, I didn't ever imagine because I'm not racist. And I, and, and being called racist is, is such a heinous and hideous label to get. But I always come back to Avenue Q's, the musical song, Everyone's a Little Bit Racist, that as hideous as that sounds, you can't live in a colonised society and not be. Like I think if we accept that we're not perfect, that we're imperfect and that colonisation has impacted our white history and our black history and if we were to be able to all accept that and then move from that starting point, I feel like the conversation would be so different because you'd cut through the defensiveness so much quicker, Lou. Well, I just struggled over my words then because I wanted to say we live in a society of white supremacy. And I thought, oh, I can't say that because people will turn off. And it's it's a similar thing. You know, so I tried to find other words to say where we prioritize whiteness or whiteness is the norm. But I think you're right. Like we we need to be able to be explicit and say that's actually the way that this society that we live in works. That is the starting off point. That's where we go from and try to to affect change. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I really like how you phrase that there, M2, because I think that's the important thing is absolutely it is quite a powerful human instinct to be tribal and racism is a starting point. It is where we start. And so we all have it. We all have it. That is not a thing that's unique to any group. What our job is as living in a civilised and, and theoretically civilised and welcoming community or at any sort of society where we believe that inclusion is part of what it is to be human is about working to reduce that, to constantly work to reduce that. And possibly you'll never get to erase it completely. Possibly there's always an element, but if you can continue to battle and if your actions and choices work against that instinct to be racist, all of the time you will feel different and it does change. You know, our behaviours do change how we think. And so that is, and we just have to accept that that's our lifelong struggle to be Mm. better not to be perfect, but to be better. <laughs> Rana had such a great mic drop moment on Offsiders this week. Gosh, she was a superstar when Kelly Underwood said, you know, has the Do Better report kind of fixed the problem or has it made headway? And she said, does one report solve racism? No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it must be so exhausting. <laughs> so this is a conversation that I cannot believe that we're having on three hours sleep. Nicole, you're carrying the lion's share there. It's obviously a conversation that we're going to keep having. And and as much as I love Hawthorne, I really want to have this conversation and I want it to be the start of something that really institutes actual and significant change. And you know, Cyril's generosity in this could be a real landmark moment, I think, for the club to to take that on and for all the clubs to take that on. 
There was another article this week. Gee, Craig Stasevich came out swinging after the Lions' defeat and he was not happy talking about expansion and talking about, you know, we you know, how, what the what the current teams do to support and develop players only to lose them when the when the competition expands. I think that this is multi-layered on the shoey drinkers um, part <laughs> and I, I'm nervous to say too much because I know he listens friend of the pod. I get it. I get it. It's hard to lose players because you're developing them and expansion, but expansion is going to happen one more time, maybe twice if Tassie team comes in, right? But for people who've been on the outer, and I'm looking at Hawthorne Port, Essendon, and the Sydney Swans, I was like, oh, this is a conversation that is a luxury for you to have right now because we develop players through our VFLW program and lose them too. So I, I feel like he might have been flagging a really big going into bat for his players because, as we know, the CBA is on the about to happen. It's on the board. The players have never been in a better situation to because no contract in terms of from a player's perspective holds any water at the moment. I don't know if you guys are really aware of this, but the players can do whatever they want. They can be they can take any offer that they want. If clubs have got a contract in place with the players, they need to honour that if the players want to honour it. But this is how expansion is going to happen in this next little iteration. So the power is with the players. So I wondered whether Craig Starsovich was flagging this as to say, we are cohesive. I've got your back. I'm going to go and fight for you. Please don't leave me. <laughs> Lucy, what do you reckon? Oh, I think there's a bit of that. And I think also, like, it's true, right? Like, I expect he should feel this way because it's his club there. It's his team. That's where his focus should be. But I don't know what the alternative is that you let four teams come in and say, yeah, good luck. <laughs> holding Mm. on to these players because that's not going to make for a great competition. That's not going to be fun to watch. That's not going to drive memberships and crowds and all of the things that we need to grow the competition. I think that it's important to acknowledge that when players move around, it does create opportunities. And Craig Stasevich also, like, <laughs> you know, basically said this in the follow-up to saying he freaking didn't like it, <laughs> was that when, you know, they lost, I think, almost 15 players in mm. that the, the two trade periods ahead of 2020, but it created the opportunity for them to bring in players like Orla O'Dwyer and Greta Bodie and mm. Dakota Davidson. Mm. So, you know, even as as you spoke about earlier, Julia, that if you can maintain a core group of players, you can continue to have success. I was also wondering about clubs like the Darabin Falcons who have been basically putting you know, they've been developing players for years but are not going to reap the benefits of the AFLW kind of machine. How did a comment like that make you feel, Julia? I definitely felt his frustration about it, especially Mm. because spending time and developing players is a a really long-term project and it takes a lot of time and frustration and trial and error and love and care and and so, yeah, and so then when they you feel like they get pinched away from you and you don't kind of get to enjoy the spoils of having them as the developed player, that is really rough, especially in, in AFLW where a lot of the jobs are thankless. A lot of the time mm. is is overtime. You know, to be fair to Shuey Stasevich, he did say that um, <laughs> he, he was frustrated by it but he also didn't know how else you do it. So I think yeah. he's yeah, it was expressing frustration but but knows that 
this is the reality of it. Um, you know, and it was coming off, you know, the week, a couple of weeks ago where Sydney Swans put out their signings and had signed Matty Collier, even though that's against the rules. You can't sign a, <laughs> you, you can't sign a, a, a listed player yet. So, it, you know, just I think that kind of was popping the bubble a bit that we were all under that this was going to be maybe perhaps a civilised trade period. Um, so I, I, I get that. I just think it really highlights the tension between what people within the club want, which is to win, and what supporters want, which is it to be entertained. The, ultimately, that's what the game is about. So, And to have, you know, representation of all the clubs because we've got this long established tradition of these clubs that have existed a long time. Can we have our shoe and drink it too? What does- <laughs> <laughs> Can we have both? <laughs> I would rather have it in a glass, but okay, I hear what you're saying. Um I think I think that this is a constant tension of you know the competitiveness of sport, which and we want our own team to win. But if that means we steal somebody else's talent, well, I can live with that. You know, mm. when they steal ours, mm. not so much. So that you know, there is that there is the emotional conversation that I think Craig <laughs> let loose um, on. But I, there's also the practical reality of, as you said, Lou, it's about having a competition that works. It's having games that are challenging and that can engage the audience. So it's a really interesting time because, you know, we are watching Scott Gowans off uh, at Sydney kind of replicating what he did at North. Mm. And do we, are we convinced that that worked? As well as it could have, we we thought North was going to be a, a massive powerhouse, and of course they've done quite well. But they still have, you know, despite cherry picking some of the best players from the competition, they still haven't delivered oh, the goods I, in the I end. I totally reckon if Scott Gowans was still there, that they would have won a premiership. I really believe that. I think he was Do building you? something. I feel like they were a heartbeat away. Remember, they missed out because of the weird conference system, mm. and then they missed out the following year. I think it was on percentage or something like that. Mm. But. Th- I really felt like North were really, really in the mix and I thought that that was because of his work. I mean, obviously because well, of the players, but I did mm. think that they were building something. So I think, you know, he's got – I think it was going to work for him and that's why I was so shocked when he left. I mean, perhaps it would have worked for him, but the reality is those players are there for the most part. They're all yeah. still there. So just building, picking, cherry-picking the players – doesn't guarantee you the success, perhaps. This is my argument. Doesn't I, guarantee you the success that you're hoping for. Yeah, but I, Julia, I th- go and argue with me and tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> no, no, no. I do. I do. I, I agree. You know, they they definitely haven't won a premiership. But I think that when we're talking about success, especially for expansion teams, I would say that if I'm a North fan or I'm in that North program, we have had a team from year one of our, year one of our involvement in the competition that's been super competitive. And we've got fans in and we've got engaged and that will, you know, that's building our fan base's love of our team in AFLW, whereas I think that St Kilda, Richmond, Geelong, they have had much, or West Coast, they've had much tougher entrees into the competition that would have been harder at a club level to really generate excitement about their teams because they've, they've, they started with completely different list profiles. So, yeah, they haven't won a premiership but they've been – up and about every year, which, you know, is what gets 
fans going. But it is interesting to think about the the, the fan attachment to players. And do you go for Collingwood now, Nicole? Because you've just followed Sabs wherever she's gone. <laughs> but you know, I, I back for Sabs. Oh, there you go. Um, but you know, a few years ago in 2020, Melbourne did a bit of an experiment in the way they wanted to change around their list and you know shout out to Todd Patterson the the list manager there he took a huge risk and and that team took a huge risk by you know they they traded away Cordner Bianca Jacobson mm. Alicia Newman Kat Smith Maddie Garrett Elisa Day in order to get higher draft picks that year so two drafts ago now sitting at the MCG on Saturday Alyssa Bannon kicks three goals Mm. Eliza McNamara kicks a great goal and has a really great game, a quite influential game. And those two players came into that team because of the way that they positioned themselves for that draft. I was looking at that and thought that list manager is surely rubbing his hands together (laughs) today Mm. because what he did a few years ago, which was risky, you know, put a few noses out of joint, has got them into a grand final. So the Mm. list build is tricky. It's a guessing game, but I'm really excited to see how the four new teams choose what what route they go down. You know, they're going to find established players. They're going to get kids in. How they're going to build the list. It it will really define the team over the next few years. Mm. So raise Mm. a shoe to Todd Patterson, you say? (laughs) (laughs) Um, it was interesting to see like at last night before everything kicked off Ali Blackburn and Kirsty Lamb posted a video saying we're staying at the Bulldogs Mm. so this has been a very very good conversation that I have really enjoyed but I need to get to final business so that we can go back to bed and I need a meat pie (laughs) so (laughs) if you had to call it now oh pains me to say it I'm going to ask you for your tips for the grand final. <laughs> and do you want to give me a best on ground just because it makes it interesting, a little bit spicy? Nicole, would you like to go? You get to choose whether you want to go first or last. Uh, I'll go last. Okay. Lucy Race, you're up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I tipped with my heart last week, so I'm going to tip with my heart again. I'm going to tip Melbourne. And I'm going to say best on ground is going to be Karen Paxman. Oof. Love it. Would love to see it. Julia? I'm tipping with my head and I hope my head is an idiot. I'm tipping Adelaide <laughs> and I think best on will be Ebony Marinoff. Oh, same. That was mine, so I'm not going. Yours, Nicole? <laughs> yeah, I, it's so hard to go past Adelaide at Adelaide. I think mm-hmm. the fact that Montana McKinnon's not playing is, you know, that'll make a difference. But Adelaide just, and I actually think, and Hatchard will get best mm. on ground. I'd love to see that happen for her. That would be amazing. It's going to be pretty exciting. I wish I was flying over to Adelaide for it. I've never been to one of those Adelaide, one of those many Adelaide <laughs> grand finals. <laughs> um, but uh, if you are getting along, make sure you take some photos, tag us in it, uh, give us a bit of um, your outer sanctum, uh, your day. We'd love to see where you're sitting, who you're sitting with, what you're eating, what condiments you're doing, uh, if you're moving your scarf for um, the purposes of superstitions. We love getting tagged in all that kind of stuff. It is time for final business before we get out of here, have a nap and a hot pie. Julia, do you have some final business for us? Yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge the passing of Anne Ralton. Anne was 
a giant of the Victorian Women's Football League for a long time, um, involved in administration, behind the scenes stuff at every level to ensure that women had an opportunity to play through the 90s and 2000s and up until really recently, heavily involved with the St Kilda Sharks and with the Darabin Falcons, formerly Fairfield Falcons, a life member of both of those clubs and a really sad, uh, yeah, just really sad that Anne is gone. I will miss her gruff (laughs) direction to me sometimes at games that I, you know, that we need to get better. Everything needs to be better. We need to do it better. Um, And just an absolute straight shooter who, yeah, would do anything for women's football and um, very well loved through the community if you popped on Twitter and saw just how many people were had great memories of Anne. So very sad about that. Lots of love to Lisa Caddo and to all who loved Anne. Lucy Race, what are you going to eat to get yourself out of this hell fire of a a 3am bedtime? Well, I've already had a hot cross bun. (laughs) (laughs) Might go for a third coffee, maybe a toasted cheese sandwich. Nicole, what would you recommend? What's your go-to? Oh, it's the big fry-up with orange juice. Or if you can't do the fry-up, Vegemite toast, lots of butter and orange mm. juice. It fixes everything. I, li- I swore by it through my 20s because I didn't have money for bacon. <laughs> Julia, you were, um, can you do coffee the next morning or do you, is it your hard yes on coffee or don't come anywhere near me with that coffee? No, no, I've had, I've had several already. I live with a six-year-old and a newborn, so I was awakened at 6 a.m. Fortunately, they didn't give me a breathalyzer to get me out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> you looked so dapper last night. I'm sorry that only your pocket square made it into the Herald Sun. We will post that on socials. <laughs> You've been edited out we'll do of a Darcy's big moment. Hilarious. It's been an absolute pleasure to be with you today. We have such a treat for you in the fifth quarter this week. Just stand by and hold my Gatorade because I think it's going to be something pretty fun. We will be back here when we know who the winner of the season six 2022 AFLW grand final is. And if you enjoy that one, stand by. There'll be another one before the end of the year. It's time for us to get out of here. There's a only one thing left to say, and that is go, go footy, footy. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.